encourage you guys to continue this theme. Honestly, I think it's a gift to the industry. I loved your post that 2024 should be the year of unreasonable hospitality. Good afternoon, Scott. How's it going? I'm doing. We, uh, you know, one of the, one of the things in our industry is we always think that our market's different than everyone else. You always go, no, but it's different in this market. The Maryland weather is one of those things, right? Where everyone says, oh, but our weather is different. Except for last week, last Friday, I ran inside right after building a snowman to have our podcast with Heather. <laughs> this week, I just walked down the street to get lunch and it's 70 degrees and I was sweating. The, the beautiful thing about Maryland is you can get all four seasons in a single week. That That's the beauty of, of Maryland weather. And, and again, I know everyone says, oh, we stayed in Florida, but this is one of the things that I love about Maryland, except this is the kind of year where we get a day like this. And then all I want in this, Conrad, is spring is here. Let's get to work. Mm -hmm. Let's get back on the bike. Let's get back out on the course. And it'll turn to crap next week and we'll be back in, in winter. <laughs> yeah, You've got to be very Zen and water-like, just this is how it's coming today. And I'm accepting it for what it is. And then when it inevitably goes to the absolute worst possible conditions, you have to accept that too and just take yeah, it in stride. I, I don't want to, but I have to. Yeah. It's so much bigger than you though. Yeah. The global warming warming people were down bad a, a week ago and now they're, they look right again. Those darn <laughs> scientists, they get us every time we think we got them. We don't got them. Adam, what's going on in your world? Anything fun and exciting happening down there in the Outer Banks? Uh, we are enjoying the warm weather. We're definitely not counting our chickens before they're hatched. I, I anticipate we'll have another cold snap before before spring gets to us. But yeah, things are going well. I've got a, a slight sports update that will bleed into maybe some business updates, podcast updates, and then into the guest. Unfortunately, this week we are, are missing our indoor soccer game because uh, my soccer player and my wife are in West Virginia doing some snowboarding, which means that I'm at home with little boys so the my topic of thought for this week is really delegation. And I think I'm a believer that strengths are weaknesses, weaknesses are strength. There's always this balance that gets you there. And I think delegation is one of those. Delegation can be an absolute superpower if you find the right person to delegate or the right partner to delegate with. On the other hand, delegation can be uh, something that brings you down, an anchor that really slows you if you get the wrong person or someone that you, you're you not even sure. Now, maybe they are the right person. Maybe they're doing the right things. But if there's this question that lingers in your mind where you can't just delegate and walk away and leave it alone, then it gnaws at you and it pulls you back in and it, it ruins some of that the, the power of that delegation. So that's where I'm sitting this weekend with sports. I had to delegate to a, a father on the team, not really a coach, but... I think that I've gotten the team to a place where I'm actually very confident in the players more so than the dad that's going to step in. I was texting with the guys last night, let them know I'll miss it, giving them some updates. And they were all chiming back in, ready to get out there and do it. So I feel comfortable, a, a little nervous that I'm giving the dad this power, but I also feel really confident in the players that are going out there. So that plays into a lot of what we've talked about here in a couple of different ways. One, we continue to talk about building this in the open and We've made a lot of progress over the last week or so with some partners that we've been working with. So again, from that delegation perspective, the last year or so, we've really been trying to formulate the idea and find the right partners. But one of the concept is get these people in line. And then the next one is actually get some momentum behind the right partners doing the right things. And we're starting to see that. And I'll just list out a few that have been on the show with us here, but we're getting some movement with Ellis at, at um, Lassie. We're getting some movement with uh, Alex Danner, who's been on the show with us. We're getting some movement with Stowe, who's been on the show with us. We're working with Travel and Leisure to, to build out some of that platinum program that we talked about, some of that white label program that we talked about bringing it down to the vacation rentals. So over the past week, we've really gotten some momentum behind us with some of those partners. And we're starting to see that that is what's going to power us in 24. Now, I think that as we uh, talk about today's guest. I'm really excited for a couple of reasons. One, he's been on the operations side and understands the value of this delegation. But two, he's now on the consulting side. So this is an opportunity for all of the listeners to think about what are the areas of our business that we could think about actually delegating to some experts that have been there and done it. So I'll let, let Conrad pass it over to Andy, but I'm, I'm excited to get some of Andy's uh, input, A, of, of what he's done, but B, how he's focused on things as we head into 24. Yeah, I feel like, Adam, what you described there is the perfect example in my mind of what culture actually is, which is that's not how we do it around here, even when you're not there. I I've always liked that side of it. This idea that if I wasn't in a meeting, then my team would still know, like when someone suggests that we do the percentage off pop-up instead of the fixed dollar pop-up, they were told, 
no, that's not how we do it around here. We do the fixed dollar off pop-up, not the percentage off pop-up because I've instilled that in them. And hopefully they've taken that, they take it to heart and they try to build off of it. So yeah, now, I, I, I agree with that. Yeah. I think culture, and that's the hardest thing to define. It's the hardest thing to build. So I'm, I'm tied in this indoor league. We've got a three-way tie and we're playing one of the teams that we're tied with this week. To your point, Conrad, we'll see how well they they actually come through on that culture side of things and see if we we get the win without us there. Yeah, I, I'm rooting for them. I think it's I think it's feasible. Awesome. And, yeah, Andy, welcome. We appreciate having you and you hopping on with us here today. We were joking a little bit for, before we hit record that you're in the lovely sunny weather down there in Miami, but uh, the listener may not know you, Andy, so we'd love a little bit of background about you, where you sit today, both physically and maybe spiritually or mentally, what you're focused on with your business and all that kind of stuff, but also your history. You, you have this, as uh, Adam mentioned, you have this operator background in the vacational industry. So if you don't mind a little bit of background info, and then we'll get into the song that best describes you after that. Yeah, sure. And as soon as I open my mouth, you're going to hear that even though I'm located in Miami, Florida, and I used to work and live at the Delaware beaches, I do not hail from this country. I'm from the United Kingdom, Wales originally. And I hail from a land where we get four seasons in one day. Four seasons in one week, Scott. That's a little weak as far as I'm concerned. But anyway, my background quickly. Started off my work and working life while at college for Marks and Spencer's, a high-end department store in the UK. Uh, when I graduated college, I started work for IBM UK at the corporate headquarters on a graduate intake program. Worked my way up there through five years doing a very poor job of programming. So I quickly learned to ditch that, moved into systems analysis work, database design, and eventually project management. And that brought me over to the U.S., in 1993 to the Washington DC area. And I can't believe at this point it's 1993. Um, so apologies to any listeners who were not alive then, but uh, yeah, it's a long time ago. Anyway, in the Washington DC area, I worked for what was still fondly referred to as Beltway Bandits. These were IT consultant firms scattered around the Washington DC Beltway, serving mainly federal government clients. But I happened to land with a client uh, initially with IBM was my client. Then after that, I transferred to work for a consultant firm that had Swiss telecom clients. And in that position, I just kept my head down because they kept trying to send me back to Europe where I just left. I Once my green card came through and I was no longer tied in visa-wise with an employer, I switched to the corporate headquarters of Marriott International in Washington, D.C. And I stayed there until we relocated to Delaware Beaches in 2005. And at Marriott... My role, I straddled the IT department and the business department. I was assigned specifically to the revenue management, the yield management group, and the hospital marketing group, Marriott Rewards, which is now Marriott Bonvoy. And no accident that when I stumbled into vacation rentals a few years later, a lot of the lessons that I learned at Marriott International, I transferred directly into my vacation rental business. So the Delaware Beaches spent a few years bobbing around with specialty food business startups and then stumbled into the vacation rental business because we owned a couple of properties. It's a familiar story. And I really wasn't very happy with the choices out there that were managing our properties. And I actually, as a newly minted realtor, I worked for one of eventually one of my biggest competitors in Rehoboth Beach. I worked for them for six months and that really was an eye opener for me. Not going to knock the company. It's an independent realty brokerage, the Delaware Beaches. Great family business. I was just not a fan of their business model. And from day one, it just I, the way that I was being trained in the vacation rental industry didn't seem to match the questions that property owners and guests were calling in with. Uh, so I had my Jerry Maguire moment. I had my manifesto. I pitched the owners of the company with an idea to reorganize the rental department. Great idea, Andy. We have more business we can handle. We're not going to do it. So I left and that idea that I pitched them with eventually became my own vacation rental management company. Um, with that company, I, I, I just want to give a little bit of specific information that really ties into what I'm doing now with the consulting business. I started that business, fair to say, like everybody else, you grow really fast in the first few years. And I'm onboarding a new client right now, and they're actually starting a company from scratch in the, on the consulting side. And... I'm, I'm telling them, you are going to grow really fast and you're going to be at the point very quickly where you're going to be really overwhelmed and facing burnout. So don't worry about the business development side of it. Really focus on the branded side of it and also the, the structure of what you're doing, the operational procedures, standing operating practices. And that really ties in. I, I sold my vacation rental management company in 2022. 
I did not expect to be selling at the time, but when somebody comes knocking with a very large check, it was just, I, I couldn't turn it down. The company that bought me paid very generously for essentially my inventory. I knew they were going to throw away my brand, but I'm very grateful. It allowed me to uh, relocate and to stay in the industry and help in other ways. When I sold the the, the company, I was at 80, 82 properties, 82. And if you'd asked me several years earlier, I always had a goal. I wanted to get to 200 properties. And once we got to 50 properties, five zero, financially at that point, we were able to take a step back and look at the balance of our inventory, look at the types of owners we were working with. This is nothing new. Many other people have discussed the same principles in, in their businesses. And we were able then to thin the herd and work out the owners that were not a good fit for how we worked or the owners that generally were really difficult to work with and costing us operationally a lot of our resources. And I still thought, hey, I'm going to hit 200. And we never got above a maximum of 85. We didn't need to. We were pulling enough income. Instead, I focused on balancing the inventory. Uh, so what I focus on now with the consultant firm, I... If you'd asked me two years ago, and even up to probably six months ago, I wanted to focus on brand strategy for vacation rentals. And the, the topic of branding is really becoming very popular in the, in the industry now. And branding is very exciting. We, we're all interested in it. You know, we think about Apple when we think about big brands. And, and it's a fun concept. But the challenge of branding is deep down in the strategy part of it. And that is a very abstract, almost fluffy kind of concept to somebody who's really strapped down deep in the weeds, trying to build a vacation rental business and facing burnout. So I've learned to backtrack a little bit with clients. I don't focus so much on the brand strategy messaging now. I focus more on the brand standards. Uh, I don't do much, if any, of marketing help with my clients. I prefer to outsource that work. It's not really my interest or my technical ability to get deep into SEO digital marketing, I would rather, much rather contract out to somebody like Conrad who really knows what he's doing with it. So I work with a company across five main areas. I do some initial work with their brand strategy. And that's the closest that I get to any kind of fluffy kind of conceptual work. It's really important when we go into a business that we understand why we're doing that particular business and why we want to do it. Uh, and then from that, once I can identify that with a client, I can fast forward the way that my mind works. I can see in my mind how something is going to end up looking, and I work my way backwards. When I do the brand strategy work initially with a new client, I would ask them, what are the minimum viable, non-negotiable standards that you want your business to be known for? And then we work backwards. And an example of that could be, gee, Andy, it's really disgraceful the guests have to arrive late at night and make their own beds so great that's a non-negotiable standard for you you're telling me that you, it's important that your beds are made on arrival and hopefully stripped for the guest on departure i can't believe in this day and age that guests are still bringing their own linens i understand operationally why but that for me is a non-negotiable brand standard i also look in terms of an overall revenue management strategy sarah franzen on this week's episode did an excellent job of explaining this i couldn't do it any better Revenue management to me is more than just a rear view look, a look in the rear view mirror at the data is important. Massage and pricing is important. But when I work with clients, I help them figure out and align their business so they're maximizing their revenue potential. And that factors into their portfolio strategy, their inventory acquisition strategy, how they set up their organization in terms of positioning their business to help them figure out you, know, you are running a hotel business, not a real estate business. So you're going to need common elements, regardless of scale, housekeeping, maintenance, laundry, linens, reservations, inspection staff, it, it's all there. Uh, and then I also look at vendor technology management. I don't get deeply into recommending technologies with clients. I focus more on helping clients look at the contracts that the vendors are giving them and just making sure that they understand the contract terms, the type of onboarding support they're likely to get from that technology vendor, and really pulling from my corporate background with project management, help them put together a resource allocation plan for implementing the technology that they're investing in. And then beyond that, once I've worked with the client initially, beyond an initial engagement, I will allow them 
to contract with me for hourly mentor services? Long answer, short question. No, that's okay. We we made a joke about a previous podcast. Someone said, I think it was even Sarah was saying something to the effect of that's a long answer. And I'm like, it's a podcast. That's the point. So all good. We'll yes, try to I hope parts. you won. You let it. Yeah. We we'll try to let you breathe. A lot of threads I can pull on there. I'm trying to figure out the one or two that I really want to go down. But uh, before I do that, I'll also need to get a song that best describes you as well, Andy, because that's a long background. So we also need to sum it up quickly in a three minute song. So what is the song that best describes you before we get going on? This? I'm an old guy. I have a long background to cover. The song that best describes me Frank Sinatra's version of That's Life. And for three reasons. Firstly, it's Frank Sinatra, American song group, great American songbook. Why not? But secondly, specifically Frank Sinatra's version, because it, uh, other singers have, re have recorded the same song and they all tend to take a softer kind of lovey, huggy approach to it. If you listen to Frank Sinatra singing it, he's very defiant. And that, to me, really taps into what that song is about. It's about the ups and downs of life, of a career. It's about taking your knocks and getting back up again. And I just love it that there are some great lines in there. There's one in there about people that look to knock you down and not see you succeed. You go through all of this as a small business owner. And no career these days is truly linear. We may have multiple careers. When you get to my age, you have bounced around a lot. No experience is ever wasted. That's why I love that song. And the third one, oh, the story behind recording is interesting because Frank Sinatra was famous for, he did a one take recording. He hated doing retakes. So he'd go into a studio, go in, press record and leave 20 minutes later. And on that particular recording, um, the sound engineer did not like the way that he finished the song. He finished the song saying, it was just very low key. And he called him back at the studio, said, I need you to re-record it. And Frank Sinatra was so mad that he had to re-record. It made him angry and you could hear it in the song. So Defiance, that's why I love that song. That yeah. Awesome. awesome. I like that. Yeah, it has to be the first Frank Sinatra, I think, Scott. I don't, I don't <laughs> recall the previous one. Yeah, yeah. I'll tell you, our list went sideways with Itsy Bitsy Spider. Yeah, Shout out. straight downhill since then. Red yeah. Responsibly <laughs> Crew. But now we've taken some new turns that are pretty exciting. I have listened to the Boccello Suites. My wife looked at me like, what are you doing? Sarah said I needed to. So I, I know her description just blew me away of the quality of a human voice in the cello. I, I was riveted. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> awesome. Okay. So I want to pull out a few things back at the vacation rental and everything you're building today with the consulting arm. Cause I think we talked about consulting at a high level on a previous episode. And I think Adam joked, like we don't need more consultants in the space to provide <laughs> advice. But I think the truth is Andy, a lot of them don't have your experience. A lot of them haven't been in the weeds and got their fingernails dirty, so to speak on what the business actually is. But I want to, here's the parallel I'm going to draw. So let me see if I can line this up here. You got rid of the idea of scale as you got going. You thought maybe at one point you wanted to enter properties, yet you got to 15 were relatively happy and then settled in this 80 number. But the company that purchased you was this scaling company that has thousands, tens of thousands of units somewhere else. What do you think is the right answer going forward? Is it that there should be more sea change style companies out there? Or do you think these large companies that have tens of thousands of listings can provide this hospitality at scale and deliver a great experience? Where Adam talks a lot about is scale have a place in our industry? What's your take on it given your experience? I think I tend to oversimplify it and I tend to say, you know, scale is possible if you have brutal enough standard operating procedures. That is a very, almost an empty statement. I'm, I'm well aware of that. And what I'm buried behind that are some very difficult decisions in terms of rolling out standards. And if you look at it from a brand perspective, the hardest challenge of building a brand is really not positioning that brand in the mind of your customer. It's in getting buy-in from your organization. It's, ro it's rolling. To me, a brand is just basically, it's a set of standards. It, it's an agreement on, on, on how you solve the, the problem that the customers have in a consistent, repeatable way. So if you can do that at a certain scale, if you could script your procedures to a certain extent, it almost becomes like a franchise model. Why can't you do it at, at scale? It, the human component is incredibly difficult, and that, that's really why we haven't seen it yet. <laughs> Yeah. Uh, Scott, I was curious about kind of your take on operational efficiency. And as you get to thousands of units, you know that the, a lot of operational complexity comes into play. Is there, did Andy have it right? Basically 85 units maybe is the right number. I know you mentioned a similar number might be the target for Delmar somewhere in that range, not a thousand. 
Yeah, I think it's true, right? And, and I think it's true for a lot of ways, right? I think it's true clearly just in numbers, right? And listen, beach towns, the one universal thing on beach towns is it's hard to find staff, right? That, that's going to stick it out, right? So I think you've got that dynamic. But I think, Conrad, and this goes to conversations we've had before, we're only going, we're probably going to land right around where Andy left because, and that's just been our focus. We're like, Hey, 50 to 75 is our win. But again, we're with a certain clarity of we only want large homes, right? We only want this. I think where, where the big model breaks, and, and we've talked a little bit about this on a previous uh, podcast is when you have a portfolio that has a $53 a night stay and a $3,500 a night stay, that becomes like very difficult to manage, right? Cause then priorities can never be properly addressed. And from my experience, we had a bit of this with Vantage before we we packaged it, much like Andy did, is what actually ends up happening is the lower end properties really end up demanding all the time. So the lowest revenue are usually the most headaches. And then that just lends itself to now you're ignoring or giving your more expensive stuff secondary service. And I think really that's where I'm lost on this whole scale thing is it, 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 it's disingenuous to think that you can service a portfolio that big and provide the service by demographic, but ultimately that price range, right? We got to make sure that we're taking care of the stuff that needs to be taken care of. And then the problems that the problems just need to either be dealt with and addressed or moved out. But I think in the scale model, those lower end problem units end up eating way too much time, way too many resources. Scott brought up a really good point there in terms of scale. It Go through an exercise in your inventory of trying to separate, categorize your inventory, break it into tiers, tier one, two, and three properties. When you go through that, that exercise, figuring out on the analysis side of it, how do you categorize your properties? Do you categorize them based on price point, geography? Do you categorize ba them based on occupancy, quality of amenities? It it's When I went through that, I came out of that exercise and it made me realize, wow, we're really heavily skewing towards two bedroom, one and a half bath condos because realtors were giving me those referrals one after another. And I looked at it and I thought, gee, you know, the service calls to those properties are as expensive as the service calls to the tier one, five bedroom, five and a half bath with an in-ground private swimming pool. And and the, the condo is a much lower ADR than the single family home. So I had to look at the balance based on revenue coming in, but I also looked at it based on what the guests were looking for. And it you have, I hated sitting there in the office, listening to one of our vacation planners, what I called our, our reservationists. I hated listening to them when they didn't have a product to match a guest demand and knowing we would have to send that to another company, which I was happy to do to refer business, but why lose a repeat guest just because we can't fulfill what they're looking for? Yeah, that would be my recommendation. Go through a categorization process and that might answer some issues of scale for you. Yeah. I was going to give a weird example, Adam, and it was like, in a weird way in this business, if you're not very intentional about it, you don't really control the product as much maybe as you would think. And so I, I find this regularly where you imagine a restaurant where you open and go, okay, we're going to serve food, but we don't know exactly what kind of food. We're going to see what shows up on the truck, who reaches out to us and says, hey, I'll sell you some chicken, I'll sell you some fish, and then we'll cook that up and sell it. That's kind of what some vacation rental companies are. They take what gets put in front of them as far as inventory, whether it's the two-bedroom condos that Andy keep getting referred in the past, or whether it's occasionally a, a stake, a five-star or five-bedroom large home. That's weird, right? Like that doesn't happen in other industries where we don't exactly know what it is, unless you intentionally, back to Andy's point, push against it and say, here's what I'm after and why. And like Scott's saying as well, I don't know if you have any reaction to that. And you've seen inside of a lot of companies I know of all sizes. Yeah, I, I think that there's a couple things there. And I, I'm always happy to to rethink my position on things. So for for one, um, if I look back on, on the, the discussion that we just had there, I can reposition myself in a couple of different ways. And I, I think a lot of this has to do with the industry uh, still growing up and still professionalizing. Because one, on the consultant side of things, yeah, I, I, you know, my comment, and this is still where I stand, but at the same time, I see a lot of value in consultants, Andy, that has this, uh, A, a background and experience in it, but B, a wide uh, amount of uh, knowledge that he can then share on a, a variety of different things to build a business. I think in the past, the consultants that have tried to step into this industry have tried to choose one thing. We had a, a bunch of new PMSs for a while, and there was a layer of consultants that stepped in that said, hey, let me review can all the PMSs available and tell you which one's right for you. I don't think there's 
that need in this industry. I don't think we need a level of consultant that's going to go out and select your technology for you. However, I do think as we professionalize, as we grow, I think the value of having people that have experience building businesses and then helping other people build businesses with similar successful models, I see a huge value in that. I just don't think that we've gotten there as an industry that we have enough people that can do that or have stepped out to do that. I think Andy is one of the front runners in that. And I, I love the way he's thinking about that. So I think that there is time for us to professionalize and add some more of those components. I think it might be similar on the scale side of things. And Andy's perspective of you've got to be brutal with brand standards. That struck me because I think if you look back on the companies that have tried to scale, they are 100% not brutal on brand standards. And you can say that is probably their biggest shortfall because each different market has their own issues and you can start seeing all of those issues eroding at the overall brand that they're trying to build across all of those different markets. So I, I think we could still be too early, right? I think that we have the companies that have tried to do it have tried to grow too fast. They've done it in a way that they haven't established really strong brand standards. And you might be able to argue that they didn't understand the industry well enough to establish those brand standards or the industry hadn't evolved far enough for them to establish those really strong brand standards. So I could look back and say, yes, I could see a place where there's a huge value in consultants helping to build businesses and establish brand standards. But I think the industry at this point is still trying to establish what those standards are and then how we can then push those out into the industry, whether that's at the management level, at the market level, whatever that might be. So I can definitely reposition myself to see where this can go. But I agree with your perspective in that analogy, Conrad. I think that you mentioned some vacation rental managers take that uh, approach of take what you can get. I think that's the vast majority. In my time in this industry, I think the vast majority are trying. And this is partly because it's very difficult to get homeowners into your program. It is very challenging to go out and market for new homeowners, I think. And we've touched on this a number of different ways. I think you get great homeowners by gr having a great business and having a great reputation, and then you get referrals, but that takes time to do. So in turn, most companies are just sending out postcards and seeing who responds. And if you're not really strict on what you're looking for, to, to Scott's point about clarity and what you're going after, but also to Andy's point about looking at where the value is, right? If all of it is two bedroom condos that are coming to you and you're just starting, odds are you're taking those two bedroom condos until you can step back and really think about where your focus is because there is an economy of scale there. You might be taking a whole bunch of those two bedroom condos and then you all of a sudden get a five or a 10 bedroom and you realize, oh my gosh, I need to refocus into these. But it takes some time and some growth to get there. So I think that a lot of this has to do with the industry still in that professionalization phase. But I am, I am eager to see what 2024 brings because I think that it's going to push, one, it's going to push everybody to professionalize faster. But two, it's going to push the, the companies that are professionalizing, it's going to push them to the forefront very quickly. I was talking to someone recently who's more on the real estate investing side, and he was telling me that, that a fund model is not really appropriate for our industry because a fund is you have to deploy it with a certain amount of time. And his sort of thesis being just more of a private real estate investor where he had people backing him, but it wasn't like you have to spend this amount of money by this day, is that what happens to your point, Adam, is that you make a bad deal. You have to make a bad deal because if you have three years or five years or seven years and you have to spend $100 million, you might there may be bad deals for five of those seven years. There's probably not great deals right now, if we're being honest, right? Like the market conditions, the interest rates, all that kind of stuff is not really as good as it was a few years ago. So you have to be thoughtful. And it's hard to go back to your investors and be like, yeah, nothing's good right now. <laughs> investors want to deploy that money and make a return on their capital, which has ultimately got a lot of people in our industry in a lot of trouble. So Andy, back to your point about giving people the right advice and making sure that if someone's going down this path, I think to Adam's point, the way I see it, just my personal experience, is that you do have to take a lot of people like they got to feed their family, they got to get their business going. At first, they might need to take what they can get to get revenue in the door, do a great job, and then the other properties unlock themselves. That's my take on it. What's your thought on that? Is there the potential for a brand new? You mentioned you were advising someone brand new in the space. Can they go get the five bedroom home, or do they basically have to like like a stair walk up through the one bedroom headaches first before they can earn the right to get the five bedroom home? What's your thoughts on that approach? I think, if I'm being honest, they probably will be in the situation that I was in when I first started out. I started my company with five properties on board and two of them I personally owned. I took them away from the company I'd been working for. And three, I just, I walked around getting to know my neighbors that were telling them what I was doing. And I managed to convince 
three very brave neighbors with very nice homes to come on board with me. And all three of those homes were still with us when I sold the company in 2022. I love that. Um, And it just, there's no easy answer to that, Conrad. I I, I wish I could say as a consultant, hey, I have all the answers to that. Pay me a lot of money that it's not. When I first start out, working with people from scratch, clients from scratch has been very recent. And it's been in the past few weeks, I've had two people contact me and they are just getting into the industry. The timing of that is a little curious to me, having now we're in this really challenging market after these COVID driven boom years. And now you're entering this, but anyway, that that's not my role to advise on that. So that surprised me. And I looked at the way that my consultant is structured and I thought, I, I, I'm not set up to help these guys, but I looked at my model and I thought it's no different. It, the, the things that I'm advising on, it is no different. And the business development part of it if I'm working remotely, I can't really help them too much with that other than advising them really in conceptually in terms of how, how to, how do I phrase this without it making it sound like marketing advice? It, it's really, <laughs> advice too, it's okay. <laughs> it, 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 it's about organizing your approach to bringing on new owners. Mm-hmm. Because when I started my business, I was adamant that I was going to be so different to the other options out there. And two, after two seasons, we went from five properties to 20, which I think is pretty fast rate of growth when you still don't know what you're doing, really. And you just, you started because you think you could do better. You know what you want as an owner and as a guest, and that's how you start your business. And two seasons under my belt. And it, I, going into my third season, I was on a listing appointment one day with an owner lead. And the owner said to me, Andy, I researched you before before uh, you set the appointment. That's one of the reasons you should, but I have to tell you, I had a really hard time finding your business online. And I thought, oh gosh, here we go. This is an SEO type conversation. And my NOMA website sucks. I had a WordPress template that I hacked. Um, we did no direct booking into our PMS from the website, but I'd hacked a LinkedIn to Verbo so that I could get online buckets that way. And we were doing great getting first-time leads. We were 95% plus occupancy well before COVID. And revenue was, was great for a new company. But we were fast becoming a list anything, anywhere, any price company. When I honestly looked at the inventory and that one property owner, I thought he was getting an SEO. He wasn't. When he finished his question, he said to me, if I had a hard time finding you, Andy, how confident are you that you're going to be able to source guests to fill my property and deliver the revenue? And I thought, oh my gosh. And that caused me to just stop and look at where our guests were coming from long before people were talk- talking about book direct as a concept. And I thought, wow, we don't source any guests through our website. We have no real guest facing brand. I looked at the copy on the website. It was all owner based. And that's how I, I, I advise clients now. The number one thing that I first say, because most of my clients are realtors, given the nature of most states in the U.S. require broker and real estate sales license to do what we do. Um, I know some don't before we start getting hate mail, um, but most do. If I'm working with a client that already has an established business, and most clients that are calling me generally around um, 20 property mark, and I've learned... I won't take anybody under the five property mark because under the five property market generally is people self-managing on Airbnb or Verbo. And I, that's the type of client that I really can't help very well for very reasons I don't want to get into. So anyway, when I, what, I looked at my guest sourcing. I looked at what the owner was saying. It's very odd now looking back for an owner to take the perspective of a guest. Owners normally approach a problem from their perspective. From the real estate perspective only, investment, they don't really think about the guest. And I looked at my business and right away, my spouse was just retiring, sold his business. I said, come on board and run the day-to-day. He stepped in and he took over all the day-to-day. He basically became my GM as well as my CFO. And I took a step back and I I approached Realtech Web Design and I said, I need a a new website fast. You're highly recommended. And I loved them from the outset. I said, look, this is what I want. The bulk of my clients, but the bulk of my competition, I look at their websites, their informational real estate websites. A long way of getting to what I say to new clients. I say to new clients who are realtors, 
brand your vacation rental business separately to your real estate sales business. I understand that your why, the reason why you're doing vacation rentals, maybe because you don't want to risk losing a sales client to another management company who sucks at what they do, or you, it's a good pipeline to sales. There are good reasons for being in the business, but the guest doesn't care about that. And that's what this owner told me. And I, when I approached Realtek and I said, I want a, a website where it's obvious when a guest goes on there that they're on there to book a vacation, somewhere to stay for their holiday. They said to me, oh, you want an e-commerce site? I'm like, I do? I'm like, okay, yeah, I want an e-commerce site. And that process of going through that with them made me completely look at every aspect of my business. I just tore it apart what we were doing. And I looked at the inventory balance. I looked at our staffing model at the time, everything. And it made me realize going into the third season that we were exactly like our competition. We were becoming like them. No differentiation. I really had no right to criticize their models and say it doesn't work for me if I'm similar. So it's not just about taking any property anywhere, any owner, any price. It's about really a keep going back to this fluffy concept of your why. And my why that drives my consulting business now is the exact same why that, that drove my vacation rental business. At the three-year point with the new website, I complete, I went through a rebranding exercise. I didn't have the knowledge or the language to know that it was rebranding at the time. I was just redesigning the business. Now I understand more about branding and marketing and the difference between the two. I realize it, it's rebranding. And the why, not to keep you hanging for too long, is that I felt that customers, guests, and property owners, not only do I, did I feel that they deserve better than the options that were out there, if you talk about differentiation, but I felt that they had no reason to trust us, that the product is simply too variable and too random so that when a guest or a property owner, when they do business with us, they cross their fingers and hope for the best. And if your differentiation is my competition is worse than me, that's not a great position to start with. So you, you got to figure out why that you're doing it and build that into the design of your business. And luckily with Realtek, I found a company that not only stood up to me and challenged me and they would say, oh, you want that in your website? That's not recommended for this technical reason, but the product they delivered with now, I also mind you, I signed up for an ongoing content management, digital marketing project with them, knowing the long tail activity. It took 18 months for that to kick in. But 18 months, two seasons down the road later, the mix of just of my guest sourcing. I, I went from 75% of our guests sourced through Verbo. I never used Airbnb. I went to 65% source direct through, through our real tech website. And that's no accident. There's a lot of reasons that go into that. And part of them are business development, picking the right owners. I'm not sure I answered your question, but it's all mixed up for me up there. No, no, it's all good. I think that it, it speaks to this point of being intentional with the design of your business and then being intentional with the acts that you take. And you just pointed out there, some of these things you don't get, you put a seed in the ground, right? And it's the classic example that a lot of SEO marketing agencies might give. You're putting a seed in the ground and you're not really going to see the benefit of the shade of that tree anytime soon. In your case, you're saying there was 18 months, I'm assuming, of you hanging around on page two, page three. The joke that, of course, the digital marketing agency will tell is that's where you hide a dead body because no one actually looks there. And then right. once you make it right at the top, you get all this traffic. But yeah, there was a lot of groundwork that had to be laid to get that traffic. And then I think the last point that you spoke to makes a lot of sense to me because I've said this before, which is that good guest marketing is good owner marketing because owners are very savvy. Like for someone to be able to afford a second home, they're usually somewhat business savvy. They've got some skills about them. Usually, maybe they're not an expert in marketing or they're certainly not an expert in vacation rentals or they probably wouldn't be calling you in the first place, but they can look at a brand and they can see if the claim are believable or not, just based on their own intuition and their own personal experiences and things like that. So Scott, I don't know, we, we've talked about this a little bit and you were saying it earlier. Andy was like, those first few homes are hard to get. You got to, I call it hand-to-hand -hand combat. I actually loved your story a second ago, Andy, where you just knocked on your neighbor's door, got to know your neighbors and you got your first few homes. Perfect. That's what you got to do at first. You got to get creative. Scott, it's not just always going to be postcards and a bunch of claims on a list. That's not always going to work. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I think to Andy's point, Right. And especially even in, just think about some of the messages, right? Everyone talks about their revenue, right? And we've talked about, we've pulled this thread too many times, but no one actually says their revenue. They say the total revenue and they disregard the fact that, oh, only 20% in most cases, it actually belongs to them. But that's how we all describe our business. We all describe the business of, I'm at this revenue. And, and Conrad, you have said over and, and we crossed 50 plus podcasts before someone finally brought up margin. 
But I think that's the hook, right? Is this, we were all on this path of what's your revenue? What's your revenue? And, and what all that means is, hey, that's $30,000. Oh, maybe that's 20, right? And so I, I think we were pushed in that way of just gobble it all up, gobble it all up and we'll figure it out. Um, but it's also painful. Listen, we, what did we find, Adam? So when we did our market and Andy, we go all the way from Belmont Towers down at the pier all the way up. So I think it's like 17,000 homeowners, right? We called our list down. Our list is like 4,300 because we looked and said, not that building, just this. But I think that's a hard thing to do. I think it's hard for people to look and go, why not this? Why not that? These people will call all the time. So I think it's, I think part of the message now, especially now in 2024 is being choosy is important because we may only have five and then 10 and then 20. By the time we hit our stride, our margin will be hands down better than anyone that's running alongside of us that has three times the amount of inventory, but running at the same revenue as us. And I suspect, Andy, over time, actually, this has been my belief personally and my experience personally, I should say, not belief, because I've seen this to happen in real life, which is that your marketing costs relative to your revenue, like as a percentage of revenue, actually does go down over time because you actually build repeat guests. You don't have to spend as much additional marketing dollars to fill in more bookings. Was that the case for you as you grew the business and as your direct definitely. efforts really started kicking in? Yeah, yeah definitely. And also on the, the owner acquisition side, mm -hmm. you know, people I just came to you right without you having to force them to come to you, basically. Uh, partly, yeah, but even on the the out, outward bound mm -hmm. marketing of uh, reaching new owners, I work with inventory. It's a great with um, Vintory. It's a great program. And when I first started with Vintory, I didn't realize that I was giving them really aggressive um, targets to reach. And then when you start to look at the breakdown of the cost associated, even with something as old fashioned as a direct mail flyers, and you look at you, you pull the tax records, you pull the absentee owners, and you look through it. And working with Vintory, they helped me understand. You, you talk about margin. They helped me figure out some categories in order to filter through the volume of data that I was hitting them with. And a year later, working with, Vin, with Vintory, I'd gotten to the point where I could tell them, when you pull the data source, don't pull anything less than three bedrooms. I already have enough two-bedroom condos in my inventory. Don't pull anything in this map area because it, it's not just a question of knowing the, in, the inventory in that geographical area. It's the fact of knowing the mix. There were some communities that I were not a good fit for my company model, but also I personally felt they were not a good fit for short-term rentals to begin with. Mm -hmm. When you live in a resort area and you get to know the mix of communities, it's not just an issue of an HOA bringing in rules that you have to comply with as a rental manager in that community. On such a rule, there was one community where I got a referral from the, the, the realtor. They were already under contract with the buyer. I go in, I do my list on apartment, and I find out that the HOA required me to hand deliver a paper check for a resort fee within three days of every reservation. This property was in the back of Bethany. West Bethany, way out towards it, backed out towards the old agricultural fields, because that's what that's the properties that were infilling with the COVID and the real estate boom. Suddenly you're rented a property that's five five miles doesn't sound like a lot, but you, you guys who know the Delaware Ocean Maryland beaches, five miles back from the ocean in Bethany, unless you have a community that's providing a free beach shuttle, you have a hard time selling that to guests, no matter how nice the property is. Absolutely. Then factor in the HOAs I know were a pain to deal with. I would say, you know what? Snip that whole area off of our business development. And that all of a sudden, you've cut the costs in half doing that. Yeah. I'm happy to yeah. let my competition have that. It's an efficiency thing. But, to your, but you said something very important there, I think, Andy, and this was my personal experience as well, talking about there was the inventory was so valuable. And it is still so valuable, of course. But there was a period where everything was renting. So you, the incentives were aligned. I'll take the B plus or B minus or C plus inventory because I could still get something for it. And even the guests weren't even complaining. I remember looking at some of the properties that were getting bookings and I would look at them and have that immediate reaction of, well, that's not very good. Surely it's going to have bad reviews. And then I go look and people are like, we were just happy to find a place and they just wanted to escape. Right. So 
this weird event that was COVID and the boom that happened after. Now it's a little bit different, right? Not only did a bunch of new supply come in at a lot of markets, the guest standards, they got to try maybe a better rental down the road. And then they went, oh, I'm no longer going to be okay with that. You know, that B plus property is just not going to pass muster anymore. Yeah. Well, you asked me earlier on about working with with clients who are completely brand new to the industry, starting up a management company from scratch. And I don't think I fully un answered the business development question you, you gave me. And one thing I would say, if you're probably at the point where you're not ready, not organized enough to consider a program like Vintory, then reach out to your local realtors in your area and, and get good relationships with the realtors. They're excellent sources of referrals, but the people that are helping you find new clients, help them help you by giving them some guidance, wrap some structure around it for them. And I would say to realtors, there were some realtors I had a much closer relationship than others. And, but whether I had a close working relationship with them not or not, if I got a random call from a realtor I'd never heard of, I would say the same thing. Gee, you're already under contract. I wish you'd call me in before you're under contract. I'm not going to steal your client. Even though I have a real estate license, my focus is on the rental management. I do. I did very little sales, highly targeted. I referred more sales out than, than I actually did. And it's telling the realtors, this is what I could do for you with your client. It, if they've told, if you're already working with them and they've targeted several properties that are going to come down on Saturday and look at, why don't I buy me a couple of days beforehand so I can take a quick look? I can give you some income, some rental income performers for it. I can give you some basic ideas of operating startup costs for that owner if they're new to rentals. And not only does that help them get a, and help me get a better fit, it really helps them get a sale at the end of the day, at, at the right sale. It's really hard to say to somebody who's already under contract on a property, you're not going to take that into your rental program. Yeah. Yeah. And I think a lot of people just were, like I said, taking what they could get. I know we have a handful of minutes left and I want to give us the chance to get our last question out and then maybe we can round out with a few more before we let we go, let you go, Andy. We also wanted to make sure that you were on the show here. You're a, we were joking before we hit record, you've got the mic set up, you're the professional podcaster. Is there anyone else out there that you think we should be talking to that doesn't have a voice yet? Anyone come to mind for you that would another be another good conversation for us here on the Art of Hospitality? I have two quickly. I have a person and I have a category. So in the, the person... I'm really drawn to Deborah Levy. Um, Deborah Levy, I'm sorry, Deborah, if I'm mispronouncing your name. I find Deborah to be a kindred spirit. Deborah, since exiting from a, her management company, has really started up a lot of creative projects, and one of them being her guest inspector business. She will go in and she will do a secret shopper activity on a vacation rental and come back and give you a little feedback. And she knows her stuff. She's been an operator. And then the category for me is, we tend to hear a lot for obvious reasons from the C-level executives and companies. I'd like to hear more from the quiet, unsung heroes. And I think skilled interviewers like you guys, you can help somebody. I heard a lot on Sarah's recording about new voices at conferences, but this is bigger than conferences. For a small business owner who can't justify a conference attendee, getting their head of housekeeping on a podcast to talk about what they do on a day-to-day -day basis, even down to the line level, property inspectors, revenue managers. I'd love to hear from all these people. Mm -hmm. I love that. Yeah. Scott, people after your own heart, right? People that get the job done, the operational pokes. I'm yeah. with Andy on that one. I think I we can benefit. They're, they're certainly not posting content on LinkedIn because they got stuff to do every day. <laughs> they're not like us sitting up here in an ivory tower. Adam, anything else to tie in here? I know we've got maybe a little bit more time, one or two more questions for Andy before we let him depart. Yeah, I'll, I'll let us end on time and not ask more questions, but I, I do want to maybe just layer in a couple of thoughts as I listen to this. So uh, Conrad, you mentioned efficiency and there's a little bit of a mantra that sticks with me. And I, I think maybe I got this from Tim Ferriss at some time, but effectiveness over efficiency, right? It's efficiency is nice. Yeah, let's get things done quickly. But the reality is that if it's not effective, then that efficiency is pointless. And if you look back on, on Andy's story, I think that's also a little bit of the story of the industry. I think that he started out early and he moved quickly which, with what was efficient, the hacked WordPress site that got into Verbo. But if he had slowed down, and this isn't a knock on Andy, this is the industry as a whole. If he had slowed down and, and maybe talked to the right piece of information, Realtek being that source that, that pushed you, but there's, there's a number of sources out there. I think a lot of life comes down to finding the right source of information. And, and it goes back to maybe my beginning discussion around delegation and finding the right partnerships. 
that if you can find the right source of information that can point you in the right direction that you can go back to and learn from and build from, then there's a, a big opportunity to speed up the process. So I think professionalization to some degree in this industry really comes down to a knowledge base. And I think what we're all yearning for is that standardized knowledge base that we can all uh, jump off from. And I think we're missing that. And we missed that over the last few years because the efficiency during the COVID period was jump in and put it on Airbnb and just keep rolling. That efficiency is now coming back to kick a lot of people in the butt because it's not going to be effective in the long run. So I think that this idea of effective over efficient and slowing down to speed up, we've, we've mentioned that concept before too, but finding the right voices, and, and I'm encouraged, as I, I shift my position on consultants a little bit, I'm encouraged to see people like Andy come out and start to think about how do we build that knowledge base? How do we build that platform that people can jump off from? Because I think that's what speeds up the professionalization for all of us, is if we learn from each other and we learn from the mistakes or the successes, rather than just jumping in and starting to move and starting to go. I'm that type of person. I'd rather just take action. But I think the successes that I found in my life are typically because I found the right source of information or I found the right book that pointed me in the right direction. And once I did that, then I could take action and start to build things on my own. But I think that what we're all struggling for, what we're all pushing towards is that knowledge base. And hopefully Art of Hospitality can be one of those, but I think there's a number of those that are starting to form, Andy being one of them and, and a lot of the guests that we have here. So I'm encouraged to think that we're starting to think effective over efficient. Yeah, I like that. I feel like the the benefit, Andy, with working with a consultant, I've worked with um, a coach and I was against that idea too before. I was like, oh, I don't really know. This person may not have all the right knowledge or experience. And I was wrong. I think I had to find the right one for sure for me speaking personally. But it's, I joke sometimes it's like business therapy a little bit. It's like, well, I'm struggling with this and my employees can't hear those problems. My wife doesn't really want to hear those problems. So it's good to get that. But it's also like seeing it from another perspective. And what I find the beneficial is shortcut. It's I could have spent 10 hours on that. You told me something that I can do that's going to take me an hour or two. And man, that's great when we find those things together. So I think effective is the key for sure, Adam, because it's easy to do a lot of things in this business that consume a lot of time and really aren't that effective. So ultimately, that's what people are after. So I know we stayed a few minutes over here, Andy, but we appreciate you hopping on and recording with us. I did a very bad job of the outline today, by the way, Adam. I think I got to one thing there. So we'll have to bring you on maybe down the road, Andy, and we can actually get to items two through 10 on the outline that Adam painstakingly put together and I botched. So all good. Hopefully what wouldn't be hard for the listener to botch is leaving a review. So all they do, if they made it this far, Andy, is they go to their podcast app of choice, they click five stars, and then more people can listen to great folks like yourself and uh, more people can listen to the show. So we appreciate everyone. Uh, we'll catch you on the next episode. And uh, yeah, thanks so much for listening. And thanks so much. For Thank you. Time. Thanks.